Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Huard. And Brooke Huard. Now here are your hosts, Brock Huard and Mike Saul. We've hit Memorial Day. The Mariners are in striking distance, for sure. They're not where they want to be. They're certainly not where we want them to be. But they're not out of it by any means. And it's funny, for all of the conversation we had over the last half hour, and thank you, everybody, for the phone calls and texts and everything else, not one person mentioned Julio Rodriguez, and I'm shocked. To me, that was the story this weekend, is what Julio Rodriguez did. We are seeing the player that he was last year for the first time this season. He's raised his average, what is it, 40 points? He was at about 203, 204, something like that. And he's now hitting 247. Again, I'm not using batting average as any sort of a measure of who Julio Rodriguez is. But to raise your average 40 points in like two weeks, it shows you what kind of a torrid pace he's on. His on-base percentage is up to 311. His OPS is at 762, which is certainly off his pace from last year, but not terrible. Uh, If you triple his numbers from this year so far, which would be roughly where you're at, you're a third of the way through the year, you'd end up with... 30 home runs and 93 runs driven in. Amazing. Oh, and by the way, 27 stolen bases. So as as rough as things have sort of been for Julio, you see with just one good week, basically, how close he is and how capable he is of getting himself back on track. Jeff Passan, who will join us at 830 today, told us very specifically, the Mariners will go as Julio goes. So for all of the other ancillary issues that this team has had this year, How much of it could just be described as Julio wasn't Julio? And when he is, a lot of those other things will take care of themselves. And by the way, Julio not being Julio has still resulted in a third of a season that is on a 30 home run, 27 stolen base base. Think about that. That's a guy that has been struggling. What is Julio capable of? Uh, 40 home runs easy. Uh, well over 100 runs driven in and more. Yeah, yeah, 25 to 30 stolen bases, probably about right. But he is absolutely capable of having tremendous, tremendous seasons. And what he's done so far has been good. Why did it start to change? You know, it's so funny. And, and baseball is a bizarre sport. But going the other way really does seem to unlock something for these guys. Yeah, I thought of you on Friday when he hit that out immediately. I was like, right. Ah, up a home run. Right. There it is. I mean, it was like first it was Kelnick this year, right? Just nice and easy, going to left field, just that nice little lefty stroke, going the other way. And Julio, meanwhile, was trying to kill it, trying to club it, trying to pull everything, rolling over, et cetera. And what happens? Single to right, double to right center, single to right, home run to right. And the next thing you know, he is right on top of everything, even his outs. Or smashed. Yep. He had that out, was it uh, a couple nights ago on Sunday, right, where he hit it right at the center fielder, made a good uh, play coming in. But that one was hit like 115 miles an hour. I mean, he is right on everything. And it all seemed to start with going to right field. It's so crazy how that, like, it's easy for us to say it and observe it. But it just seems to be so hard to actually make that happen in a live baseball game. He was putting in the work behind the scenes. And guess what? It ended up paying off as you would expect it to do. Uh, Scott was uh, pretty uh, clear on the fact that it was, you know, it was a process. No, there was a lot of work put in. Um, His swing was a little messed up. His timing wasn't good. 
Um, there's a lot of things going on. This is his second year, um, and things never are this like they are the first time you do something. The second time around, the league knows you. You've got to make some adjustments along the way, and he, he is. He looked great today. And really, this has been going on the last three or four days. I think it's five out of his last six games have been multi-hit games. It's coming. But the way the jump ball is jumping off the bat, he's pulling the ball a little bit more now, getting it in the air. It's good to see. And I will admit, this is sort of what I wanted. I kind of wanted Julio to have to struggle a little bit at the beginning of the year and figure it out because I think there's some great value in that, especially for a young player who just got a gigantic large contract like he did. I think there is some value to having to go through a little bit to start the year. Again, it maybe lasted a little longer than I would have liked, but if he can come out on the other side of it, which it right now looks like he is starting to do, I think it's going to be even better for him in the long run, and I think he even understands that himself. Yeah, no, it's definitely paying off. I feel like we all can see that. And it's definitely a lot of work, and I just feel like, as I always say, I feel like going through tough times is fun. It's fun to be able to come on top, and it's definitely it's definitely been a lot of work, a lot of work with the people close to me, and I'm feeling excited. I feel excited where things are heading to, and I think things are trending in the right direction now. Yeah, so a couple of questions on this. One, is it too late for Julio to be an all-star? Oh, unless he goes on a super tear. Well, like it could be. Is it? Are you sure? We're at one month. You got a, what, a month? Yeah, you got a month. It's going to take a, a pretty Herculean yeah. effort. Especially with. But it's not definitely right. too late, right? Like, isn't there, I mean, just because of the name recognition, I would think that he may have a, a shot at it. Not saying it's going to happen, but I'm not saying it won't either. I think he's got a shot. He's going to have to continue to play at this pace. He's going to have to hit a bunch of home runs here in the next two, three weeks. But I think that it's possible that Julio could end up making the all-star team, especially since it's here. And because of the name recognition and sort of the respect given to him from around the league, I don't don't think it's impossible. Is it possible for Kelnick to make it? It's funny. I mean, the numbers say that he probably should, but I'm going to guess that that will still work against him. So I don't, I don't know whether Kelnick will. But yeah, I, I, I found myself thinking a lot about whether or not Julio has the opportunity to be in front of this crowd. My mom is thinking of coming out for the uh, for that time, and she was like, "Oh, can we go to the All Star game?" I was like, "Well, I do have a ticket." She's like, "Yeah, but Julio is not going to be there." Like she was what? like, I know my mom's obsessed with Julio. So I was like, <laughs> now that she feels comfortable calling him Julio instead of J-Rod, if you remember at the beginning, my mom was a little nervous calling him Julio. Now she's, she's feeling just, and there's, and there's room now that Robbie Ray is not, not right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Participating. So she's <laughs> room in her heart for, for Julio. Yeah, full, to, to fully embrace Julio. The other thing I found myself thinking about, and I know it started last week is like the what if on Jared and Julio. The what if these two guys ever really both get it going at the same time? Because unfortunately, as Julio's turned it on over the last week, Kelnick's been sort of cold. He hasn't been terrible. It's not like he's been, you know, old Kelnick, and you're still seeing some good things. And there was a double, and there was a little ball down the he hit the left field. Was it last night or two nights ago in a stolen base? I mean, like he's still doing well, but we've yet to see both guys on fire at the same time. And I just I found myself thinking about that last night and wondering if it would look like a like the Lord of the Rings death toll competition between the elf and the dwarf. Oh, Gimli and Gimli and Legolas. Legolas. Right. Like counting how many they've yeah, killed. Yeah, that's five. That's eight. <laughs> like, don't you sort of imagine these two guys in sort of a friendly competition over? Oh, you stole a base. I hit a double. You hit a double. I hit a triple. True. Like I could sort of imagine. But it's like much quieter. Like both guys just sort of look over at the dial like, oh, OK. 
I see. Oh, oh, you raised me one. Cool. I, I, I'll match that bet and raise you two. True. The silent tally. Those, <laughs> yeah. yeah. They and man, having those two hot at the same time. Having Teo, who's seen flashes of it coming back in this last few games. Um, Eugenio, when he hit the walk off, I thought like maybe that's the unlock. Mm-hmm. Like maybe he's gonna finally start to have some good swings again because we've just seen him roll over enough. And then if that pairs up with pitching, yeah, then you get to see the potential all of all of it at once. And the, one of them doesn't have to carry the other one for two weeks while the other one's bad. Be pretty beautiful. If those it things it, all it could really sync would be unbelievable like to see those two guys synced up together. And you're right. It could unlock some of the other guys on the team who maybe are pressing a little bit still. So uh, I don't know what direction this team goes from here. You got two more tough games against the Yankees. You got to go to what t- Texas after this Anaheim's on this trip as well. So, and I think what San Diego is that the yeah, other the two game series. And after the, right. Anaheim, so yeah. I, I mean, like, you know, <laughs> the schedule doesn't let up. Right, there are good teams that you're going to face throughout this year. You still haven't seen Baltimore yet, right? I mean, you're, you're going to see the Astros again before it's too long. Tampa, so, right? So, so the schedule doesn't let up. You're going to have to go through all of it. But I do, I do feel better today than I did a week ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and most of that is because of Julio. Because at the end of it, I'm just going to keep coming back to what Passon said. The Mariners will go as Julio goes. And if he has refound himself, if he's discovered his swing, if he can get back to doing all the things that he did last year, I get a pretty good sense everything else is just going to fall right into place. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Just gross. Gross seeing the Yankees in the ballpark last night. Gross seeing their shirts and the crowd and everything else. And even grosser when they go out and bring out the bats like they did last night. It was a heck of a night for their offense, specifically for the star. Aaron Judge, he was great. I know it was obnoxious. This was his first of two. Here's a payoff. Swing and it's hammered out to the foul pole in left field, screaming, and it hits off of something fair and gone. It was absolutely torched by Judge. I'm not sure if that hit off the foul pole or if it hit off of the facade of Edgar's porch, but it was smoked. First home run Bryce Miller has given up this year. 117 off the bat of Aaron Judge. 378 the distance, and it's a 3-1 Yankees lead. Well, if you're going to give up a home run, it might as well be in style. And I guess that's what it was. Another one later for Judge and uh, the Yankees win it 10-4. First time Miller's really struggled, right? I mean, that's the first time we've seen him not look great. Scott Service said, yeah, the fastball's got to be better. Knowing Bryce would be, yeah, hit my fastball. What are you going to do? He's got a fastball. He's got a really good fastball. He's going to continue to throw his fastball. Tonight, just didn't get it in the right spots, and they put some good swings on it. That's it. You know, it, it happens. You're going to get hit around in this league a little bit. The best pitchers in this league get hit around a little bit. That's what happened tonight. Well, it certainly did, and hopefully a learning experience for him. It'll certainly end all of these tweets and notes about, you know, the greatest start to a career ever, this and that. Uh, that will uh, come to a close now. Game two of the series tonight, Nestor Cortez, former Mariner, of course, against Logan Gilbert. Cortez has not been the same pitcher this year. Got a 5.30 ERA. He has come crashing back to earth, but he is left-handed, which has been a bit of a challenge for the Mariners so far this season. So big game two with Logan Gilbert on the hill tonight. Here's the second thing. 
you need to know. Uh, final set in both the NBA and the NHL. A couple of Miami teams are both going to be there fighting for their respective championships. The Heat avoided becoming the first team in NBA history to blow a 3-0 lead. They defeat the Celtics in Boston, Game 7, and do it by, what, 30 points or so. Charles Barkley fairly disgusted with the Celtics. Jimmy Butler, first half. Give me your impressions of what he's been able to do. He's got 11. I thought he was good, but I got to say something, man. Why he dumbass selfish make making my head hurt? Ernie, <laughs> let me tell you something. Glad I asked you about Jimmy Butler. I know, I but I, I can't let it go, man, I because know. It's, it's so bad to watch him play. There's no ball movement. There's no body movement. And it's just frustrating to watch the team with this much talent just play stupid. Yeah, that's sort of been the Heat's thing, right? Taking down teams with more talent. And uh, I guess that'll be another challenge for them as they take on Denver now in the NBA Finals. As for the NHL, Vegas finally put away the Stars and did it fairly handily last night. Means they'll play in their second Stanley Cup Final Series, this time against the other eight seed, Florida Panthers. Here's the third thing you need to know. Right, we got some injury updates for the Mariners. Let's start with one from Shannon Dreyer on Andres Munoz. She write, wrote, it was great to see him at T-Mobile over the weekend. Says the arm is, quote, feeling good. Set to start a rehab assignment in Tacoma and getting closer to a return. Good. They're going to need him. Uh, who goes when he's ready? My guess is 110. But what's next? Because at some point, Penn Murphy's coming back. And I still would like to see Prelander Bro up here sooner rather than later. I got to imagine Chris Flexen's going to be at some point in the crosshairs because it's just barely being used. And if there's no room for you out there, then Marin's going to have to figure out what that looks like. Jen Mueller also had an update on Dylan Moore, and I don't love it. Uh, according to Jen, Dylan said he's feeling okay. Made a play the other night that led to discomfort. Didn't feel great in yesterday's game, but is encouraged that he feels better today. He's pushing through and made sure to note I'm still faster than Ty. Well, obviously, he's still faster than Ty France. I'm guessing even right after his surgery, he was still faster than Ty. But that core injury and the way it seems to keep coming back and the way it kind of repeats itself, definitely a little nerve-wracking for Dylan Moore's future. And then, of course, Jared Kelnick last night crashing into the wall. Didn't look didn't look good at all. I mean, he hit his head and his neck right into the top of the wall. Yeah, he hit his neck. Uh, heck of an effort. He almost got to that ball. Um, their guy's a little bit taller. Otherwise, Jared probably would have caught it. Their guy did. But, uh, you know, heck of an effort. Plays hard every inning. He does not take pitches off. And that's what we love about him. Well, I do love that about him, but maybe I'd like to see him not smash his head into the wall. I was worried about his neck. I'm guessing the padding kind of helped him a little bit there because I think it looked worse than it was. But easy for me to say from here. I'd be curious to see if he's in the game tonight or if they use this as an opportunity to maybe get Jared off his feet for a night, especially with a lefty out there. I know he's been hitting lefties better than he's been hitting righties, but maybe this is a night where you see Pollock in left field and just kind of give Jared a, a night to collect himself. That is everything you need to know. We do that quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk Show. You see the uh, judge hitting a home run and robbing a home run. He has done that, I think, four times? This year? No, 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 no. four Jeez. times. In um, his career. Most since, I think, any other player in, like, to almost 20 years. Really? Man. <laughs> Maybe that's what being 6-7 and playing in Yankee Stadium. I know. Too. I wonder how many times juniors did that. Hit one and robbed one? Yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting to have to find. Because he seems like Alex somebody. Mayer. Huh? Somebody find Alex Mayer. Yeah, it seems like something junior would have done, I don't know, however many times. I mean, he certainly had that kind of ability. There's probably a few other guys. But, yeah, I think the height 
is is helpful. I wonder. I wonder. <laughs> you would <if>, sure. <laughs> well, right. I mean, like, there's. It's rare to see a guy that high. Don't have like hops either. He's definitely. He was able to get up there. God, I hate him. I really, really <laughs> can't stand him. I kind of had this built in for seven thirty, but he just. You don't see sort of the terrible offspring of Derek Jeter and Alex Rodriguez. Like to me, he's the perfect combination of what makes both of them so obnoxious. Yeah. Like he's got yeah. like a Rod's. Height and body. I mean, he sort of looks like A Rod. I know he's even bigger than Alex was, but I mean, he's sort of got that same sort of A Rod body and a little of like the aloofness of A Rod that I can't stand. Um, and then Jeter, he's also got that like Mr. Perfect kind of Derek Jeter element to him where people will say things like, oh, there's nothing you can hate about him. Like, yeah, there sure is. No, because Jeter and A-Rod both had a con man vibe to him that I just don't get out of Judge. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Oh, I get the exact same vibe that I got out of those two guys. And those their vibe is different from each other. So I guess that's why I sort of see it in between. Am am I the only one that is? No, I mean, I hate the Yankees. It's ingrained in me. But I yeah, he just seems like a pretty... Like, yeah, like he even like did that. the like a rod thing where he like flirt like he com- he combined both of them into his off season. He he tried to flirt with being you know get as much money as he possibly could and ended up staying with the Yankees for more money. So it's like he combined the a rod thought and the Jeter thought and I mean, put it into wrong. Ron. You're not wrong. It's just a it's just a gut thing. I don't know. I, I see him and I'm like, I hate him because of the Yankee, the uniform he's wearing. Maybe you are eating too many chicken wings. I don't know. Well, something, maybe there's something going we may on have with found your someone gut. that hates Judge even more than you because Craig in the 425 said, does ESPN make you guys play Judge's crap or do you hate Seattle? Uh, well, I don't know. It was 117 off the bat. I thought that one was maybe worth playing just because it was hit so hard. But uh, no, I don't I don't care for Mr. Judge. Not even a little bit. All right. Yeah, I get it. Uh, let me mention, uh, you know what? Let's take a quick break. We'll come right back. I want to, uh, I want to go through what I think the Mariners need to do. Cause I think there's a very clear cut next step for this team that they need to make. We will go through that and a few other things next. Brock and Salk sales sports on 710 seattlesports.com. Powered through the Alaska airline studio. Back in mornings from six to 10 on Seattle sports. Here, Brock and Salk, CL Sports on 710. As I think through this Mariner offseason, right, what they did in the offseason, some of the challenges and some of the arguments that have stemmed from it, and then also kind of thinking about where they're at now and what their needs are, I don't know that they ever needed a gigantic, big-time, long-term kind of a player. But I do think it's fairly clear, and, and I still think it's the case, that they just need another veteran. They just need some veteran help on this team. And I guess some of that for me stems from watching. And look, there's no such thing as too much talent. I get that. But watching the youth movement, right, with Kelnick and Julio and seeing what those guys are going to be, not just this year, but for the next half a decade plus, that that's sort of what I'm focused on and thinking about, you know, from a Mariner perspective and their goal, which is to make this a sustainable, competitive product. That's the goal. Sustainability is a big part of what they're trying to do. And it may at times affect how how far they're willing to go. And I know that that's been frustrating for some people. They believe it's going to make them more sustainable long term. Okay, take that out. 
regardless of whether you would want a you know major investment made in a big time free agent bat, et cetera, I think it's fairly clear that where they missed was in bringing in one more veteran on a short term deal that doesn't need to be there for the entirety of the Julio Kelnick run, but can help these guys adjust and take a little of the pressure off them right now. And okay. I and I and I continue to believe that that is necessary. Now, I don't know who that's going to be, and we'll talk to Jeff Pass in an hour, and I want to ask him about some of the teams that may become sellers before it's all said and done. There's a couple of names that are continuing to circle. One is Jock Peterson. I know he's been hurt. Justin, thanks for uh, doing a little research on that. Uh, he's got a little finger issue. He should be back soonish, but he's having a pretty good year in San Francisco. They're going nowhere, and maybe that's an opportunity to bring in a veteran bat that could help them, DH, et cetera. Another team that is sort of on my mind is the team we just saw, Pittsburgh. Right? Remember at the beginning of the year, it was supposed to be, well, Pittsburgh is is on fire. Yeah, they started off real hot. Yeah, they're not anymore. That's coming back to earth. And if that continues over the course of the next month, you know who might be available? Carlos Carlos Santana. And it would be annoying to trade for Carlos Santana for the second straight year when you could have just signed him. But if that's an opportunity to to help you with the veteran that you need to sort of reunite this team, yeah, I'm I'm certainly not opposed to that idea. I don't know whether he's the player they need. He might be the person they need. Does that make sense? It, and that's what I was going to ask you: is what are the markers for you to be like? You know what they're missing? Like, is there a moment? Is there a flag that says veterans wouldn't have let this happen? Or this could have been different with someone who'd been there. No, not it's necessarily. It's more of, yeah, it's more of a just, yeah, more of a, yeah, it's a feeling, which is such a lame way of of sort of talking about that. But yeah, it's more of a, more of a feeling thing. Um, but it does seem to change, right? And we heard the stories last year of how it was Santana who got them to start celebrating their wins more and, and brought so much of that clubhouse together and was just a, a, a valuable resource for Julio. That's something they that still think Julio needs is someone to look up to and help him. He's 22 years old. He's not 25, 27. He's still a kid. He's too young to be in Major League Baseball. Honestly, sure. most guys his age aren't there. And so, yeah, I think that would be very helpful. So put the Pirates on your list of teams to continue to monitor. They got their butts spanked yesterday by San Francisco, and they continue to fall out of it. I'll give you another team that is fourth right now in the NL Central, and that's the Chicago Cubs. Could there be an option or two with the Cubs? Yeah. We've talked about Ian Happ in the past. He's had a pretty good year. He's got an 802 OPS. And then the other name that I thought was interesting was Cody Bellinger. Right, he's another guy who's had a pretty good start to the season uh, in 37 games, got an 830 OPS. Well, he's on a short-term deal, right? That he signed to try to get his career going against. So you probably have to give something up to get him. But another he's been hurt too. He has been, but another veteran who has been in the World Series and you know performed at an MVP level, a guy that they probably should have had more interest in in the offseason. And, you know, so there, there's a couple of, of ideas and names. I just, I don't know that they need to make the biggest splash, but I do know they need to do something. 
And those, you know, we've talked about Tyler O'Neill or somebody from the Cardinals in the past. You know, that's another possibility, depending on kind of what they do over the course of the next little while here. Are they going to be in it? Are they going to be out of it? I don't I don't know that we know yet. Sure. So. And, and I think when I think of veteran leadership, I also think of the and I know Marco is the veteran, but I think of a pitching staff. I think of the Robbie Ray that's missing from that lineup mm-hmm. and how we heard from him as or we heard from service of him being a leader last year. Yep. Not in the clubhouse. Like a guy who'd been there, guy who had seen what it takes, guy who reminded the team how rare this is, how special this is, not in the room. It's a good point. The guy that led the team in this, the champagne celebration in the playoffs, not in the room. Yeah, I still wonder what they're going to do from that pitching perspective, right? I mean, like we talked about flexing earlier, just like, okay, well, what what's the long-term plan there? Because it's some he's, he's barely pitching. At some point, aren't you going to need that roster spot? We know how important it is for them to have, you know, a, a full complement of relievers. Quite frankly, Scott would like to have one more than they have now. He's not allowed to, according to you know Major League Baseball rules, but he would like to have more than they have now. And it's sort of like they're playing with one fewer. So I, I just it's hard for me to see how that that tracks for the rest of the season. And they just allow it to to kind of work out the way it has. Yeah, I, don't, would, I don't see he it. He started the season as a starter. Now it's like last night it felt like a mop up duty. I mean, that's what he is. He's a and it's guy. like, what a, what a big change in a matter of two months. I know. Yeah, it is pretty crazy. But he is essentially, there's no role for him. And if he's not going to start and he's not going to relieve, I don't really know what Chris Flexen is. And it doesn't seem like he's got much value around the league. Because if he did, you would have found a way to trade him by now. So I, I don't I don't know what direction that goes, but if there were to be an injury in your starting rotation, do you even think Flexen would be the next guy in? I don't think he would. I think right? he'd be going pulling up a young guy before. Right, I, I do too. I think we'd see Wu or we'd see Hancock or we'd see somebody. Well, he would have had value if you traded him this offseason, I believe, looking like he did last year, but they didn't, so they they saw value at that point. Is that just completely gone because he had a bad start this year? I don't. I don't know what whether he did have value this off season. I mean, as far as we know, I mean, maybe they tried to trade him this off season and there wasn't as much of a market for Chris Flexen as maybe they had hoped. I mean, they, they had did. a pretty good year last year. They only bumped they him down because they had such a good rotation, yeah, and he was the one they thought could do multiple innings. There's just so many good pitchers in baseball. Like as great, and and by the way, that shouldn't take away from the Mariners' start. They're they're of all the great pitchers in baseball, theirs has been the best. But there's so much good pitching in baseball. So the idea of a depth swing starter, I think it used to maybe have more value than it has now. I know it sounds guess, crazy. Like the Red Sox have a pretty weak starting five. Like the Mariners are pretty lucky with what they have. I, they've been they've been fantastic. But it is funny how how for whatever reason that that Marco and or Flexen combo did not seem to generate much in the way of interest, even when there was an off season where they were coming off of pretty good years. And now all of a sudden Flexen's taken that value and kind of tanked it so far, but there could be somebody out there that looks at it and says, Hey, if I put him back into my rotation and love on him a little bit and put him in the right you know, position to succeed, there's no reason he can't be effective, even if he's not incredible. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'll be, uh, I'll be watching on him to kind of see where they go. I do think it's a good question as to whether or not they do need another arm. I don't think they need another bullpen arm. I think when, the time you get Munoz back and the rest of your guys back, I think your bullpen is pretty much what you want it to be. Um, but but the rotation, could you use one more guy? I don't know. I think I, I got to see what happens in the next few starts for Bryce Miller. Wasn't mm, yeah right. I mean, so we saw two bad starts over the weekend. We saw Miller yesterday and we saw Kirby on Friday. Both guys got lit up. 
Did either one concern you more than the other? Hmm. No, not yet. I maybe if if they were against the same team, maybe. But because it was against the Yankees last night, I'm right? Like, well, that maybe that's an outlier. See, I I was more concerned with Miller than I was with Kirby, and mm. and I, I really enjoyed watching Bryce Miller. George Kirby has established himself over a year plus as being a premier pitcher. I don't worry about him. He's going to have a bad night because all pitchers have bad nights, and clearly he just didn't have it the other day. Assuming he's healthy, and I have no reason to assume he's not, I think George Kirby's going to be just fine. Full complement of pitches, pinpoint control, command of everything. He's He'll bounce back. I'm not worried about it. I don't know who Bryce Miller is yet. Sure. That makes I've sense. really enjoyed watching him. It's been an unbelievable start to his career, and I know he's got good stuff. But I don't yet know whether he is a flash in the pan that got hot at the right time and 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 hit it, or if he is you know somebody legit who's going to find ways to adjust, as Scott Service kind of talked about yesterday. If he can adjust, well, then I think Miller has a possibility of being another one of these Mariner arms that just blows everybody away. But I am more concerned by seeing him get shelled last night because I just don't know who he is yet. That's one of, what, five or six starts now that he's made that he's gotten beat up in. Bryce, again, locating the fastball was a little bit of an issue and just didn't have the same life on the fastball that we've seen him have uh, since he's been in the big leagues. Uh, Tried to make an adjustment, tried to get into some more off-speed pitches, get his slider going, curveball going. It just was a rough night for him. That's going to happen once in a while. It happens to the best of them, you know, Um, and I don't want him to to get his head down at all. He'll get the ball again and uh, next turn around, and, and I'm sure he'll make some adjustments there. But they're on him. They're ready for the fastball, and they put some good swings on it. Yeah, I mean, clearly that was the case yesterday. So, I, again, I'm not worried about about uh, Bryce Miller yet. Of course, it's one start. You don't worry about a starting pitcher because they have one bad start out of, what, a handful. But compared to George Kirby, who has done it for a year, yeah, that'll uh, at least, you know, I'll be paying a little bit more attention. Yeah, we got a couple of straight checks that said they were a little, a little concerned that his velocity was down. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well... Me too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, me too. I was I was a little concerned by that yesterday. That so. conversation last night of like he's a a guy who throws fastballs up in the zone. Like right. That's his pitch, and that might not work against this this lineup. Yeah, and, and it is interesting kind of watching the breaking stuff, and I saw him throw both. I saw the sort of sweeper that goes off to the side. I saw the sort of straight slider that drops down, and both were good. But if he's not going to command them well – you know what it reminded me a little of was Matt Brash, the starter. That's kind of what I saw a little bit of I yesterday. I saw a little of Matt Brash as a starter. And there were moments in which it was dynamic and unbelievable, right? That start against the White Sox where they were like, this is getting best pitcher in the game. Like they were, they couldn't believe how good he was. And then others, we were like, there's no way this is going to work. Like he's just doesn't have the command, especially of the off speed stuff, even though it's, it's, it's nasty and it's got good movement. He had no idea where it was going. And because of it, he'd be in so many bad counts that the next thing, you know, he was getting lit up. I felt like that was a little bit of Bryce Miller yesterday. And so maybe that's what sort of in the back of my mind is a little bit of uh, Matt Brash trauma from uh, a year plus ago. That makes sense. But oh. we, we said last week, well, let's see Bryce after he threw against the A's again. We're like, well, let's see him against the Yankees. Yep. That'll be a determining factor. 
And I guess if he would have shut out the Yankees last night, we would have been having a much different conversation. Oh, I mean, like, if he had dominated the Yankees after everything else he had done, I mean, I, I think we yeah. would have, yes, we today would have been a Bryce Miller celebration day. Yeah. Instead, yeah, there's a little bit of concern. But again, I'm going to keep sitting on this point over the course of the morning. And every time I stray too far from it, I want you to zap me like a shot caller okay. and remind me to say it again. The Mariners are trending up because Julio is Julio. Like, regardless of whatever else is going on with the team, and there's some good and there's some bad, and some guys are doing better than they were, and some guys are doing worse right now, and that's going to happen. But the Mariners are getting closer to being the Mariners because Julio is Julio again. Because Julio's torching the ball. Because he's having two hits every single night out. Because he's hitting for power. Because he's going to right field and then smoking balls to left and left center. Because he's doing all of the Julio things that he's capable of doing. Every time I stray too far from that and we start talking about Bryce Miller, George Kirby, or Jared Kelnick, or Eugenio Suarez, or Tay Oscar, or whatever the case may be, or other names that they could go out and get this uh, this season. Shock me with the call. Lasso you. And just remind me, hey, Mike, the Mariners go as Julio goes. And right now, Julio is starting to be Julio again. Let's do a little Blue 88. This is Brock and Sox Blue 88. Blue 88! Blue 88! We take you to the field as Brock Ewer breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Ewer and Mike Sox. All right, no Brock, obviously, today. Uh, so we've got our friend Michael Bumpus with us for a little Blue 88. A guest Blue 88 answerer. What's going on, Bump? How are you? What's up, Mike? How you doing? I'm well. I got to tell you, I'm a little upset with you. You kind of got in my head on Friday before I went to go play Willows about the greens. And I putted so terribly because I couldn't get the speed right. I was so, you were in my head. Thanks. Hey, man, I apologize. I was just trying to help you out, man. I went out there <laughs> the weekend prior, and those things were so quick. Yeah, it was uh, it was tough. How'd you do, though? Terribly. I, I played great and putted very poorly. I shot a 90. It wasn't the worst day, but it wasn't great. Anyway. No, it's not bad. Uh, 90 sort of a bubble score for me. So let me ask you, after sort of seeing the Seahawks and some of the young players and the veterans all get back together, is there anybody, any veteran that you look at and say, oh, maybe that guy's on the bubble of making this team that we haven't necessarily talked about? Uh, well, really not guys that we haven't talked about. I think it's the usual suspects, right? I think on offense, you got to look at Diaz, where it's a guy that I've supported um, for a couple of years now, but he's got to show out and do something because he's fighting for that number four receiver spot. And with guys like Derek Young, who I really like, and Jake Bobo kind of challenging him, um, I think he's got to he's got to do some things. Now, he has all the capabilities of being one of those guys um, to to really show up. But I'm looking at him, and then offensively, I look at the running back room. And I go, all right, man, you have Zach Charbonnet, right? You have Ken Walker. I think DJ Dallas brings a lot of value to the team. But um, for him to really get reps at that running back spot, again, he's got to have another great preseason. That's one thing that you can count on with DJ Dallas is that he's going to show out during the preseason. Can he do it again? There's a lot of times, Mike, where I felt like he deserves some playing time because of what he's done in the preseason. But uh, for some reason, he just hasn't been able to crack the code. So I don't necessarily think that he's on the bubble of not being on the team. But as a player, I put myself in his shoes, and I'm thinking, all right, this is my third or fourth year. Mm -hmm. Every year I've shown that I can play, I can help this team out, but I haven't gotten the carries that I desire. And then you just draft a running back as well. I'm looking at DJ Dallas, and I'm saying, all right, man, he's got to be a bit frustrated with the situation, grateful to be on the team, but he wants more. 
And uh, he's got to have another preseason, a good preseason. So I look at this DJ Dallas as a guy who wants more and was capable, and a guy like the Eskridge saying, there's some young bucks fighting for your position. Good stuff. All right, question number two. I'll tell you one thing that really jumped out to me there was just how deep that cornerback room is really going to be. And Moore and I saw Trey Brown getting after a few plays, broke up a nice pass down the field. And obviously, you know, Mike Jackson was a starter last year. How do you see these cornerbacks being deployed over the course of a year to take advantage of some of that depth? Yeah, well, we know that you're not going to take a corner at number five and not put them on the field. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> Devin's going to be out there. There's no learning curve. There's no sit for a year or a few games and learn. It's we think you are the best player available, so we grab you and you are going to play. So I see Tariq Woolen and obviously uh, Witherspoon being the the, uh, the guys out there. Now you look at that nickel spot. Now you can think that Julian Love is going to come over and compete for that nickel spot if Jamal Adams is healthy, which I think he should. But again, I also think that Kobe Bryant did enough last year to deserve to be at that number one spot when it comes to the nickel. Now, you have uh, an emergency situation. You got Julian Love over there. But I, I, I foresee Kobe Bryant getting the first crack at that nickel spot. And then Mike Jackson. The best part about this whole situation is for a guy like Mike Jackson. His fourth year in the NFL, gets a bunch of reps, has a good season last year, one interception, his first interception of the season, picks up a fumble or two. It does everything you ask him to do but you have a chance to get one of the best players in the draft and you have to Devin Witherspoon. So I, I see a guy like Mike Jackson being the first guy off the bench, right? If something were to happen, he's the first guy off. But he's got to make plays on special teams as well. And now you have Trey Brown, the guy who everyone highlights that was third or fourth down against the Pittsburgh Steelers that he makes. He, he's in cover two. He drops down, uh, covers a uh, receiver in the flats, lights him up and saves the day. But then he gets banged up. Where do you put this young man as well? Um, I, I think that all these guys are going to compete, right? They're going to push each other. They're going to push Tariq Woolen, but no one's taking that spot. Mm. They're going to push Devin Witherspoon, but no one's taking that spot. So what do, you, what do you do with these guys? Again, special teams. That's the great thing about being a defender is that there's always going to be a room for you on special teams. You tackle guys. You're used to getting off a block. Offensive guys typically aren't the best on special teams unless they're getting the rock. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's pretty simple. You're going to have Devin Witherspoon on one side, Tariq Will on the other side, Jamal and Quandra on the back end, and then you're going to have these dogs fighting for some playing time. So if there's any type of slip-up, if there's any type of injury, you have depth there. But you're going to want to see what these guys can do. So preseason, honestly, Mike, is going to be probably the most interesting for me has been for a while because you have starters, starter-like guys who are going to be back in – dudes up but i think it's um it's clear as day who's gonna go out gonna be out there to start now it's about staying healthy and special teams play all right question number three just thinking about gino and watching him at uh, practice last week and how in command he seemed of everything talk to jaron reed afterwards and he was not surprised at all that that's who gino's become i'm not surprised at what you know the gino's done and what he's accomplished because um, like my last, I was with Gino for like two years, the last two, if I'm not mistaken. And just watch him, and he was always prepared for anything that happened. Watch him in practice, going through the mechanics, it was just like watching Ruth. You know what I'm saying? Like they're not they're not the same players, same type of build, but I'm saying as far as how how ready they are, and how focused and how smart they are. So I'm not surprised at all. 
And, you know, when you got a quarterback like that, you know, especially that's a great locker room guy, too, and go out there and play, guys will go to bat for you. Hmm. Bump, how would you describe Gino's form of leadership? <clears throat> he's um, <clears throat> He's the guy who is at, who's been at um, L.A. Fitness for years playing basketball, right? <laughs> and he's, uh, he, he knows the game. He's on the sideline when the youngsters come in. He's telling them what to do or whatnot. And you're looking at him, you're like, all right, old fella, man, what do you know? And then he gets on the court, and he does exactly what he needs to do for his team to keep winning and stay on the court, right? He's not going to stand out to you and drop 35 points in one of these pickup games. He's going to do exactly what the team needs to do for them to win and stay on the court. And that's the way I see Gino. Very valuable piece. And people people can hear that and say, oh, I never want to be that guy at L.A. Fitness. Yeah, but you want to stay on the court. You want to keep running. You want to make sure your team's ready to go. You play your role. And that's the way I see Gino. Man, he does. And this year I see him doing just enough to keep this team competitive. He doesn't have to be a pro bowler again, in my opinion, Mike. I think if he throws for 38, 3,700 yards, 25 touchdowns and 10 interceptions, he'll be just fine because his defense is going to be better, I, I firmly believe, and the run game is going to be better. So he's he's the glue. He's the catalyst. I heard you talking about, uh, before I got on, uh, the Mariners go as Julio goes. This offense is going to go as Geno goes. Now, that, that doesn't mean that he needs to have these astronomical numbers. It just means that he has to be efficient and he has to lead uh, and just be prepared. And, and I, I really think that he's capable and is going to do that. That's today's Blue 88 with uh, guest Michael Bump is filling in ably, ably for Brock. Yes, we do have a, a text here, Bump, that says it's just nice that someone from that show can get up in time for a segment on the morning show <laughs> since <laughs> Stacy obviously hey. couldn't pull that off last week. Stacy, Stacy does some prep work. You know, she she makes sure her hair is on point and oh, she geez. shows up. So leave, leave Stacy alone. <laughs> I mean, I'm just calling her Stacy Sandoval. I don't know. I mean, she she seemed to you know understand that that's sort of her uh, her new nickname here on the show. Bump, great stuff as always. Love chatting with you. We'll do it again soon. All right, man. Take care. There you go. There's Michael Bumpus, and of course, his show follows ours with Stacy. They'll be on at uh, ten o'clock doing the Bump and Stacy thing. They were in yesterday too, I think. Right? Wow, big time coming really? in, working on the on man. Memorial Day like Mora. Guys are yeah, Mora Lefko <laughs> up and down. at them. Just eager, be- eager beavers. I like it. <laughs> eager beavers. <laughs> yeah, out there, the early bird getting the worm or whatever. All right. <laughs> Something. Uh, huh? Something. Something. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Yes. Point. Yes. Uh, all right. Hey, um, let's see. Actually, I want to talk some more Seahawks. There were a couple things Bump said there that I wanted to react to. And uh, Morris sent me a really good article over the weekend that I think is, well, it sums up the Seahawks last year and a half, essentially in a nutshell. So we'll dig into it together next. It's Brock and Sox. Seattle Sports on 710 SeattleSports.com.